Something is bubbling among women today. Women crave honest stories that entertain, motivate, and move them. Women want reinforcement that they are not alone in feeling the way that they do and that they can feel good about their prospects. Stories and Strategies for Women podcast will share riveting stories about amazing women. I'm your host, Claudine Walk. A good story well told is powerful. A good story can motivate. A good story can inspire action. Welcome to Stories and Strategies for Women. I'm your host, Claudine Walk. With us today is Beth Lewis. She is the executive director of the Standing Firm organization, Standing firm.org is their website. The subject of domestic violence is not a fun subject, but it's an important subject. I hope you're able to learn something from this podcast. Beth is going to tell us all about her organization and how it helps businesses to help people who are in a domestic violent situation and how it affects the workplace. So if you are in that position or if you know someone in that position, someone that you work with, or if you own a business and you're not sure how to help employees who may be in this situation, you're going to learn a lot from this episode. So thank you for listening. Beth Lewis is the executive director of the Standing Firm organization, and she is our guest today. Welcome, Beth. Hi, thank you for having me. You can find out more about Standing Firm at their website, standing-firm.org. Standing Firm is an organization that trains employers how to handle domestic violence when it impacts the workplace. Okay, Beth, right there I'm confused. Because when people hear domestic violence, they think home. And usually home personal issues and work are kept separate. So can you explain the connection and the mission of Standing Firm? Sure, thank you. Well, you know, Standing Firm has its at as its mission, um, working with employers to help them prepare to to recognize the impact of of domestic violence on their employees, to respond effectively and safely, and then to refer them to the incredible services that are out there. We recognize that employers are probably not in the best position to help an employee who is in an abusive relationship get the kind of help they need. And the kind of help they need is often um, legal help and housing and financial support and counseling. So those services exist in the community, really across the country um, as part of victim service agencies designed to support domestic violence victims. Employers have increasingly recognized that this personal life, work life separation is really an illusion. We all take our home life to work. We all, good and bad, you know, we share our successes. Unfortunately, victims of abuse often try and hide uh, their situation at work because they're embarrassed, they're humiliated, they're feeling out of control, and often they're scared. They are scared to lose their job. They're scared of what might happen if their abuser finds out that they've told somebody. And so there's a lot of work that goes into pretending at work for abuse victims. And and all that does is it further isolates them. 
from the help that they need. So um, Standing Firm actually started in 2009 in response to a survey that a large healthcare organization completed to try and understand whether this was actually having an impact on their workplace. And this is a big healthcare organization that owns hospitals all over the place. So they literally did a study and they took a rural hospital and a suburban hospital and an urban hospital. And they asked questions of new employees during the onboarding process, during orientation. And they all asked a bunch of questions, but one series of questions dealt with domestic violence. And it asked the question, have you ever in your lifetime been affected by this? Have you been affected by this issue this year? And lastly, are you currently safe at home? And the results just stopped them in their tracks. 40% of the women they were hiring answered yes to the first question. Wow. 40%, which is way higher than the national statistics we usually hear. And 17% of men. And this is in 2008. Hmm. So fast forward, (laughs) they quickly recognized, oh, yeah, this is something we absolutely have to deal with. And they began to go about the process of figuring out what an employer would need to effectively respond to the one in four, or one in three, one in two and a half women who have experienced this in their lifetime and those who are currently in an unsafe or unstable situation. Standing Firm, you know, built a a model that has really been become a model for employers across the country on how to prepare and respond and educate about domestic violence. So let's say I'm an employee at one of these businesses and I feel comfortable enough, which I imagine is so hard to even, like you say, admit to anyone that this is going on. What what would Standing Firm tell the Human Resources Department to do in that situation? Like, what's the starting point? Well, I'm going to I'm going to go back to the very first thing you said, which is admit, because somehow that word suggests that you've done something wrong. It's true. And it's almost acknowledging, it's almost opening up and saying, I'm not safe at home and I feel out of control. Right. Um, so report maybe is, is a better word, report. Yeah, or or just acknowledge, acknowledge. Um, that there's something going on at home that's interfering with every aspect of your life. Because that's what we've learned, is that when you're in an abusive situation, the abuser is trying to impact your entire life. Um, 98% of victims report financial abuse. So they are restricted from accessing their own money. They're controlled in what they can spend. Abusers often see work as a threat to their control because ultimately this is a power and control issue. And so we have had endless reports of abusers um, cutting up work clothes so you can't go to work. Um, slashing tires, putting sand in the car, you know, in the gas tank so that you can't get to work, interfering just with a person's ability to go to work. Now, if that's happening to you and you're in trouble now for being late 
or calling off again. Your employer is just seeing you as an unreliable person, or you're so distracted by the 150 texts that you've gotten in the last two hours that you're, you're missing details. And all that does is it makes the employee look unreliable. So they end up in work trouble, basically. And, and, and so the idea that that really grew out of that original uh, research was to educate managers, human resource staff, employees about what this is and what it might look like at work. So the signs that you might encounter, we're told that for the most part, it is a coworker who knows first mm. before somebody ever discloses mm. that this is what's happening to them because they see you. They see you at on breaks. They see encounter you looking distracted and frustrated. They see the apology flowers show up at work. They see you wearing a turtleneck when it's 90 degrees outside because you've got bruises around your neck. And so the picture becomes apparent to the people closest to a victim at work. And so often it's not, it doesn't start with an acknowledgement. It starts with an awareness of the people around you who see something or you're getting in trouble at work and you might just in a moment disclose, I wish I want to be on time. I I, sh- I didn't want to call off, but um, but things are going on at home that are just getting in the way. And when an employer has educated um, their staff and their leaders and put in place a policy that says, we know this happens. We know this happens in a way greater, you know, percentage of people than than we'd like to acknowledge. And if this is going on, here are the things you can expect from us. Here's a set of resources. Here's who to call. We're, many employers are now even offering what's called safe leave, which is, you know, if you're that person who's being interfered with and you can't get to work over and over, you're burning through your PTO and your sick time. And now you finally got out but you've got to go to court to get a PFA and you've got to go to court because he's dragging you into family court over custody and you have to go find housing. How do you find the time to do that? And so employers who have set up safe leave are essentially saying, we know this might happen to you. And if it does, we're going to grant you, you know, up to five days, even if it's unpaid. Of course, we always endorse offering paid safe leave, but even if it, as long as it doesn't impact your work record, you can have up to five or sometimes even 10 days to deal with getting to safety. If that's what is what you feel you need right now. And getting to safety might mean having to find an apartment, having to register your kids in a new school district, having to go to court. How do you handle that when you've got to be on the job nine to five, right? So first is policy, which it says a company says, yep, this is going on out there. We know it impacts a certain percentage of our people. 
We're going to place resources. Often an employer will have an intranet site that has all kinds of health and safety information. That's where this belongs. We're going to also put the information about how to be in touch with the local victim resource agencies, trained advocates who can walk you through a safety plan at home, safety plan for getting to work, a legal representation when you go to court to get a PFA. All of those services are out there and often victims are, are either unaware or too intimidated to access them. Nobody's saying this is easy. But it's really asking employers to join the rest of the community in saying, you, you're important, you're our most valuable asset or human resource, and we want you to be safe and effective. Interestingly, more and more companies are having us work with their DEI folks because if you the E in DEI stands for equity, and equity is is really understanding what an individual needs to be able to achieve their greatest potential, right? You and I might need different things. If I uh, uh, need a wheelchair, I need wheelchair access to everything. That doesn't apply to you. But for me to achieve my potential, I need a wheelchair. Well, if I'm a domestic violence victim, there are some things I need that you might not need as a non-victim. And if companies are committed to an equitable workplace, they may say, for those of you who are in this situation or encounter this situation, we're going to offer you safe leave and a process to access that time. We're gonna make sure you get connected to resources. And we're gonna talk to you about what it means to stay safe at work. I'm I'm gonna take a small departure here and tell you that something that I think really stopped me in my tracks was even as far back as 2017, the U.S. Department of Labor, um, based on research they had done looking at workplace violence incidents, you know, we hear about them more and more, 27% had a precursor in domestic violence. Wow. So if a company isn't even feeling this, this, you know, equity issue and the sensitivity and the social justice issue. Do you want to keep your workplace safe? You can address a quarter, more than a quarter of incidents by saying to your employees, this sometimes happens to people and we know it and we are committed to your safety. Um, Unfortunately, often when a victim finally gathers the strength and resources to leave, it is the most dangerous time for him or her. And that's when we see things like the abuser showing up at work. We recently had a call from a a nursing home where a young woman who worked there um, was confronted by her ex. So she had left and he wasn't having it. So he showed up at work wielding a knife to take her back at knife point. Mm. Now, think about it. We're in a nursing home filled with patients who are unable to take care of themselves. And this guy got in and planned to basically kidnap her 
um, at Knife Point. Fortunately, she knew a way to get to safety and was able to contact security and he was removed. Not until he had slashed a few tires in the parking lot, though. Historically, what happens to victims like that is they lose their job. Mm -hmm. We don't want that coming to work. So what happens to her when she loses her job? Right. She, she, loses she has her no lifeline. income. Yeah. She has to go back to him because that's the only place she can go yep. with, to put a roof over her head and her children's head. And so we see that cycle repeat itself. Um, the Pittsburgh, which is where we're based, um, is a city that enacted this year um, a regulation that said that protects domestic violence victims as a, as a class of people against job discrimination. So you can't fire somebody in Pittsburgh because they are a domestic violence victim. And that we think is critical. It's my hope that that becomes standard across the country. But right now it is a very uneven patchwork of regulations and requirements for uh, municipalities and counties and states. Sure. So depending on where you live, you might be a protected class or you might not. And somebody could just fire you because they don't want that problem coming to their workplace. Um, so we we encourage uh, employers to think very critically about what's the most important thing uh, to their company. Typically, it's their human resource, the people who work there. And and it's a it, it's a tough market right now. Employee retention and recruitment is is something that everyone is focused on. And we have heard, and this is anecdotal, that when an, when a potential employee sees that a company expresses concern mm -hmm. and actually hasn't placed resources for people who are in this situation, it says a lot about them. Yes. You know, it Absolutely. says that they care about their people right. and they realize that that victims are are victims. It's not because, you know, their their abuser will tell them it's what they said or what they did or the way they behaved or, you know, any number of of uh, victim blaming kinds of strategies. But we know that that victims um experience violence and abuse of all kinds through no fault of their own. And right. what they need is our support Absolutely. in order to get to safety. Yeah. So uh, we're speaking with Beth Lewis. She's the executive director of Standing Firm. You can find out more about the organization at standing-firm.org. So I want to ask you a couple questions there, Beth. Mm -hmm. Basically, it sounds to me like you as an organization are providing businesses with their, you know, strategy to put into place to help uh, victims of domestic abuse. But it's almost like you're inviting them to share. It's not like you're confronting them at all, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, you know, our our training really educates people first about what it is and how often it happens. And then that's the recognized part. What would this look like in the workplace? And then the response piece is crucial. Because if your response is, I'm worried to the question, um, 
I'm worried somebody's hurting you at home. If you get a yes or you get tears, you have to begin with, it's not your fault and we're going to be there for you. So so a business but is you, allowed to ask that question? Well, if I, if I say to you, I'm worried somebody's hurting you at home, you might say, oh, oh, of course not. Yes. The answer, you know, because somebody doesn't want to acknowledge that and that's their privilege. They may be so terrified of disclosure that they lie about it. They disacknowledge it. The follow up to that is, I don't know, I, I'm concerned about you. And so even if it, it isn't happening to you, I'm going to give you some resources in case you know somebody it is happening to. And I just want you to know we're there for you and we want to support you to be successful. And if if you decide you do need any help of this sort or any other, let us know. I'm here for you. The one thing often what we encounter is, is a sort of a somebody who becomes the champion or as often it's a safety or security person who says, I'm going to come and get you out of there or you can come to my house and stay with me. Well, that's putting your own family at risk, first of all. And what we have learned from listening for years to survivors is that the most important thing is for them to be in control of what happens next. Right. They know better than anybody where the risks are and how he will respond or she will respond. And you should never insert your need to rescue into a situation where somebody may have a very different idea of what help looks like. Absolutely. So we ask them, what, what does help look like for you? Got it. The one, the one thing we do, I think most, most victim service agencies will do is talk to victims about a safety plan. How do you stay safe at home? How can you have a safe word with a close friend that if you say that, they know they need to call the police because yes. it's really out of control? Because victims have spent a lot of time figuring out how to, how to keep things calm or how to de-escalate some, uh, uh, an abuser who is, who is escalated. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But to insert yourself in a situation is always dangerous. We have great respect for victims' knowledge of what they need and what, how to stay safe. And the guide, the guidance given uh, on a safety plan is really just to say, you may not always realize just how dangerous it is for you. Got it. And we know that when somebody tries to leave, that's the most dangerous, dangerous time. time. Um, such great information. What a fabulous, what a fabulous organization. So um, we talked a little bit before we started. You mentioned mm -hmm. that even though you're in Pittsburgh, you service other companies all over the country. Absolutely. We, you know, we started with Pittsburgh-based companies and we organized back in 2009 as a membership organization, really just asking companies to join, to say, we stand with survivors of domestic violence, even if they weren't ready to do training and establish policy. Over time, 
we've we've developed over 400 members and many of the companies in Pittsburgh have employees all over the world. Mm-hmm. So we have grown organically in that respect where a company will say, well, thank you for doing our headquarters here, but what about the 65 locations? We have employees everywhere. And so over time and, and about two and a half years ago, actually right before COVID, we, um, we launched our e-learning education modules. So those are transferable anywhere and companies can build it right into their onboarding. So all new employees come in and it's part of the information that their company says they need to know to be an employee at XYZ company. And those are law firms and heavy industry and and financial services uh, companies. So we work with companies all over the country. That's yeah. fantastic. The, the, the other question I wanted to ask you has to do with the video that is on your website, and that's uh, mm. standing-firm.org. It's called Survivors Speak, and it kind of gives a new perspective from the victim's point of view that I had not thought of, and that is when you're at a job, it's not, and you're in a domestic violence situation, it's not just the monetary reasons that you need that job. There's so many other reasons, and that, I think, it really makes clear why your organization is doing such a vital, um, uh, having such a vital role. So can you can you speak to that? Sure, uh, not as well as the survivors could. Um, it's why we did the video. Um, that was actually premiered uh, in in March of 2022 at a um, regional CEO breakfast that we host every year, trying to bring together senior corporate leaders to help them understand why they need to support this in their companies. You know, um, and. And we were able to um, invite five uh, survivors of domestic violence to talk specifically about the work impact. And I think what you're referring to is, is the theme that really emerged, which is, you know, my abuser has spends all of his time tearing me down, making me feel worthless to the point where I didn't even see why I was worth saving. And and it's work that gave me a sense of meaning and value. And and so work became my my solace. My it was where I was rescued. I'm going to I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn here. Think about what that what happened then during COVID when we all had to go home. And if you were in a domestic violence uh, situation, if you were experiencing abuse at home and suddenly you were told you can't come to work, you have to stay home all the time. What, what we now know is that in addition to the incidence of violence going up, the severity of injuries went up. There was a a mass general study that measured the difference between the severity of injuries they saw pre-COVID and the severity they saw after people were sent home. And it it went up dramatically. Um, 
And and for those companies who were trained and, and conscious of this issue, they really struggled because how do you pick up on things when all you do is see a face on a screen? Supervising remotely presents all kinds of challenges, but it's especially tough. Um, you may have known that somebody was in an abusive situation and now they're stuck at home. So what do you as a supervisor do? Right. How can you be a support to that person? Um, and we actually provided on our website a, a whole list of ways that you could actually support somebody and ways that you could interact with somebody to help them see you, recognize you as a safety valve. So if things were bad, there could be a safe word yes. that would let your boss know, this is not safe right now for me. I'm going to need some help or or not. Yep. Yep. Wow. It's, it is amazing, all the, the facets of the situation. And that's why I love your yeah. organization and what you're doing Thank to you. turn things around. Thank you so much, Beth Lewis, for speaking with us today about this important subject and what a fabulous resource Standing Firm is. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Claudine. And you are listening to Let's Talk. Um, one last question for you. Have you mm -hmm. seen um, positives coming out? Because the, vi the video that we mentioned, and, and again, you can see it at standing uh, dash firm.org. It's very positive. I mean, the women and their stories, they're fan, they're very positive, but it's, it's giving you the unique perspective of why it's so important that businesses kind of get involved in this. And uh, I love that you're teaching them how to do it properly. Have you seen some, what are the effects? What have the effects been of your training? Have you seen some good things? Yeah, well, you know, in, in some ways, you're measuring what didn't happen, you know, yes. so it's a little tough yes. to evaluate in that respect. Um, but instead of we're going to fire that person um, who didn't show up for work, we get a call saying, we've got a secretary on the run with her baby. Mm -hmm. And she's she's running from from abuse. Tell us we're the nearest uh, victim service agency is that's a sea change yes from this person abandoned their job next they're out which puts her in a situation where she has no choice yep well her choice might be homelessness or a shelter or going back to her abuser yes you know i think you know at the at the ceo breakfast last year one of the hosts looked up and said, I'd like you, if you're willing, to raise your hand if you yourself or somebody you knew well was affected by domestic violence. And every hand in the room went up. Wow. You know, we act like this is just happens to certain people or sometimes everyone in that room. And, these, and this was a room full of CEOs and business leaders and government leaders, everybody knew somebody Yep. or they themselves had been through it. And so it was a, it was a important moment of acknowledgement for those five women in the video who talked about um, the way in which work made the difference. I, you may have heard one of them talk about needing a living wage, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. A living wage is crucial to a victim being able to be independent. Right. 
And the, the percentage of people who have lost a job because they were victims is somewhere north of 70%. So losing a job is the worst thing that can happen. And we often, the statistic right now is that it on average takes a person seven attempts to leave permanently, to leave for safety permanently. So when you see somebody going in and out, it could be for a whole lot of reasons. It could be financial, it could be kids, it could be manipulation um, Mm. so severe that they can't see clearly really what's happening because ultimately this is somebody you fell in love with, Yep. right? Yes. If you think about that as the starting point, you fell in love with this person. And so along with that comes all these beliefs and trust and faith. And and when violence and abuse begins to happen, um, victims talk about rationalize. That was just once. He said he'd never do it again. It's, you know, but he, he tells me he loves me and course, I want to believe that because I love him. Our kids need a parent. Yep. But, um, you know, some of the, one of the victims that is in the video talks about the fact that she actually had to call a victim service agency and say, I'm not sure if I'm being abused. Here's what's going on. And they stopped her after about two minutes and they said, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's not just physical; it can ju- it can be emotional as well, right. and only well, emotional. Yeah, he had said, "If those dogs are here when I come home, I'm killing them." Oh, jeez, love to somebody who loves their you know loves their animals as like like their kid, and, and that's one quote of a whole landscape of you're nothing. I don't know. I don't know why they pay you because you're no good at anything. You know, all of the ways in which the undermining was going on. So we know that um, victims need lots of different things. Thankfully, there are victim service agencies in every community. There's also an app that I encourage everybody to to download and have their kids download. If they're going to college, if they're in high school, it's called Are You Safe? R, the letter, U, the letter, safe. And it not only helps a victim understand what's happening to them, but it also has a separate section. If you're concerned about somebody, it kind of walks you through a series of questions to help you understand is, is this person in a dangerous situation? And it will link you anywhere in the United States by virtue of GPS to, to the nearest victim service agency. Your, your you know, freshman daughter could be uh, on spring break in a town she doesn't know, and the boy she went with starts knocking her around. Mm-hmm. What does she do? She, you hope she'll call you, but she may need to get to safety. And this app will put her in touch with the nearest available victim service um, advocate to help her or him get to safety. What a great, what a great app. We'll put that in in the show notes. One last question for you, and I'm I'm watching mm-hmm. our time here, Beth. I don't want to get sure. you in trouble. Okay, the, no, it's okay. The um. If a business is listening to us and they mm-hmm. would love to incorporate these type of policies 
how do they, where, where do they start with your organization? Yeah, they just shoot us an email at uh, info at standing-firm.org and we will get in touch with them immediately. Some of the resources or examples of the resources are right on our website. You can see a um, kind of a teaser for the e-learning course and because we have one for managers as well as one for employees. You can look at the video. We um, And then we just start from the beginning. How big an organization are you? How many locations do you have? Uh, what policies do you have in place right now? You know, sometimes domestic violence sits in a workplace violence policy, but it isn't really fleshed out in terms of what resources you would offer. So we start with them by by learning about the organization. Then we help them build either an addendum to existing policy or create what we call best practice policy. And then we start talking about raising consciousness. It's hard to to implement training for in an organization when you've never even talked about this issue. And so we start with raising the issue, introducing the idea and the concern and the safety aspects of it and the equity element of it. And then we um, work with them to implement training in whatever model is is most appropriate for their company. Sometimes it's it's live presentations or live webinar. We do recorded webinars. Sometimes it's e-learning. Um, and then we also have a sort of interactive resource uh, page that they can put right on their intranet so that an employee who doesn't want to talk to anyone can just look. Yes. Is, this is how you figure out what's going on. This is who you need to talk to. So we try to build in that beginning to end piece. Not every company is ready to do it all, or they may implement it over a period of six months or a year. Right. Um, but the onboarding piece, the putting it into your orientation, really allows that culture change that you're introducing to become embedded. Yes. Uh, so a company can just go to our website. There's a uh, info at standing-firm.org and and send us a note saying, I'd like to learn more. We'll be in touch with them and we'll work with them wherever their people are. Thank you so much, Beth Lewis, for speaking with us today about this important subject and what a fabulous resource Standing Firm is. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Claudine. You're listening to Stories and Strategies for Women podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. Visit me at my website, ClaudineWalk.com. Drop me a note on Instagram at ClaudineWalk. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time.